sometimes in this life things seem to be chaotic. Um, they seem to be out of control sometimes. I, the first Easter that we had as a church seven years ago, we were meeting at the high school and there was flowers like this all lined up along the stage and I went to get up onto the stage and my leg hit one of the vases and it started a domino effect <laughs> of all of the flowers. And the only person that helped me was my wife. Everybody else just thought it was funny. <laughs> and as I'm scrambling to to just keep all of them from falling, the microphone fell and made a a huge noise and scared everybody and and it just brought the realization that things seem chaotic sometimes. Um, not the way that we planned it. Some of you are wishing that God brought you to the church earlier to see such things. But um, <laughs> the day's not over. What we find in scripture is that things are not chaotic. They're not out of control. They're very much in control. The text before us this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 1, and verse 29, where John the Baptist is baptizing, and and Christ comes towards him. And as John the Baptist sees Jesus coming towards him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, Behold, look at him. It is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. We're told the next day in verse 35, John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. That phrase, Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Where would a phrase like that come from? Why did John the Baptist say that as he sees Jesus coming towards him? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You think of all the animals that are out there. And then you picture a lamb, a little a little lamb that is there and it's not ferocious. It can't attack somebody. And yet we see a picture of the Lamb of God throughout all of Scripture. The phrase the Lamb of God is synonymous with sin bearer, or the one sufficient for eternal atonement for our sin, our substitutionary sacrifice, or, or our vicarious sacrifice, our propitiation, or the payment for our sins, the Lamb of God. Have you ever wondered what existed before earth existed, before our solar system existed? What, what was taking place before anything existed? Look, and God tells us in Scripture, 
In, in the book of Revelation, in the 13th chapter, it tells us that there's the book of life. Book of life, those names that are written in it, in that book of life, those who will spend eternity in heaven, whose names are written in the book of life. And it, it, tells, us, it tells us there that, that it's the book of life of the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. The book of life of the Lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Before God, before God ever created the world, before he ever created the solar system, there was the knowledge that, that there was going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Before Adam and Eve ever fell in the garden, there was the Lamb of God who was coming, who was already eternal God, God the Son, a plan that, that God had that he determined, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the knowledge that it would happen as if it had already happened, knowing that he would be slain, knowing that the Lamb would come and the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world by being slain. You look and, and you see all throughout Scripture this, where Titus 1-2 says, the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Eternal life coming from God, a promise that was given from God before time ever began, there was a plan. You see that he, he tells us things like, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but rather you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb. Without blemish, without spot. For indeed he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Before God ever created the world. Ordained that there would be a spotless lamb that would come and take away the sins of the world, take away your sin and my sin, that this would happen before God ever created anything, before there was any foundation here, he determined that there'd be the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, that would take away our sin. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ before he ever created the earth, before the foundations of this world. He knew you. He knew that he would be slain. He knew that there was this promise of eternal life before time began, before the world existed, before the solar system existed, before anything existed, Almighty, eternal God had a plan. And we see it being worked out. I mean, from the very beginning, when you start thinking about the Bible, 40 different authors writing it, over nearly a couple thousand years, 1,600 years it was written, things that took place over thousands of years, and yet, it is in complete unity from beginning to end. You may be here this morning and say, I don't even know if I trust the Bible. I don't, 
I don't know. I don't know. How do I know that this is actually the word of God? I, I believe that, that this morning as you look and see God's plan and the plan of redemption, the plan of God redeeming mankind, God redeeming his people, God making a bride for himself, seeing it from the very beginning to the very end over hundreds and hundreds, even thousands of years, you'll see the authority of the very perfect, inerrant word of God. You see, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve fall in the garden. It's a curse that goes out, and one of the curses that goes out goes to the serpent, to Satan. He tells the serpent that he put enmity between you and the, and, and, and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From the seed of the woman... Right after the fall, from the seed of the woman, God says, the serpent's head is going to be crushed. You'll bruise his heel, but he, your head. Adam and Eve had to be just in the garden, hiding, covering themselves with fig leaves, there in the garden, just saying, what's going to happen to us? He told us that if we ate of that fruit, we're surely going to die. What's going to happen? We've eaten of the fruit. Let's hide ourselves. They're hiding. God comes. Adam, where are you? And then he lays out the curse that's going to come upon man, woman, the serpent. But tells the serpent from the seed of this woman, your head's going to be crushed. A plan of redemption. From the seed of the woman, the seed's heel would be bruised, but the serpent's head would be crushed. And we see from the seed of the woman, Christ, his heel bruised as he hung there upon that cross. Adam and Eve had, had so much hope in this that, that Adam, right after that, names his wife Eve, mother of all living, before she had a child. Mother of all living. Let's, let's name her that. They, they have their first child, Cain. And, and the name that's given to him is Cain, meaning here he is. That's what his name means. Here he is. He's here. The one that's going to come from the woman, the seed, the one that's going to crush the serpent's head. Here he is, mother of all livings, giving birth, birth to a, a son, Cain. Here he is. And is Cain the one? No, he's not. What takes place? Cain kills Abel. Cain is a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Abel brought a lamb of the firstborn of his flock. We're told that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but not Cain and his offering. Why? Because the offering had to point to Christ. It had to point to Christ. Cain brings his fruit offering. God says, I won't accept that. I, won't, I don't respect that. That's not the offering. Abel brings a lamb. Firstborn of his flock, a lamb. And, and the lamb is killed. The blood is shed. And you look at this and you see a picture from the very beginning of the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Abel's offering is accepted because it's a lamb. It's a blood offering. Even before that, you remember when Adam and Eve were clothed with the fig leaves and God comes and he says... That's not okay. 
What does he do? He takes an animal and he kills it. He makes clothing for him. He makes tunics for him from the skin of the animal. When, when God said, if you eat of the fruit, you're surely going to die. They're looking at it going, I have no idea what's going to happen. But then God takes these animals and he kills them. It very well could have been a lamb. The Bible doesn't say with absolute certainty, but it sure seems like it would be consistent with what you find throughout Scripture. But whatever it was, it was a picture at the very beginning that you have sinned. Adam and Eve, you have sinned. You need to be covered, and you cannot be covered with fig leaves. It has to come from an animal that has been killed. There has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. Abel, your offering is acceptable because there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. It has to be that way. All throughout Scripture you find it. Noah, he's on the ark. He's there. The day comes where he's able to get off the ark. The first thing that he does is he builds an altar. And on the altar he does a sacrifice to God. Burnt offering to him. And we're told that God said that it was a sweet-smelling aroma. Why? Why would it be a sweet-smelling aroma? He gets off the ark, takes some of the animals, sacrifices them. It's a sweet-smelling aroma because it's pointing ahead to Christ, who was the Lamb of God, who was going to take away the sin of the world. Everything throughout history, from the very beginning, from the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth, is all pointing to Christ, the Lamb of God, who's coming to take away the sins of the world. You see, with Abraham, God comes to Abraham and, and says to Abraham, Take your son, in Genesis 22, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, the one that you love, and offer him. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him. There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I'm going to tell you. You're to go to this specific land of Moriah. And when you get there, I'm going to tell you the exact mountain that you're supposed to go on. And when you get there, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that you love, and offer him to me there. So what does Abraham do? He goes. He takes the wood for the burnt offering, and he lays it on Isaac, his son. He takes the fire in his hand, and he takes a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And then he says, Isaac says, Look, there's the fire and there's the wood. Dad, we've, we've come to the place. You, you got the fire and you... You have the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? We're going onto this mountain and, and we're building an altar there. Dad, you, you got everything. Where's the lamb? And Abraham says, my son, 
God will provide for himself the lamb. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God's going to provide for himself the lamb. And the two of them went together. It's a picture of Christ. Follow me for a second. It it, it gets better. He's, He's going to Moriah to this mountain that God's going to show him. I want you to take your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to this mountain on Moriah, Mount Moriah. Go there to this mountain. I'm going to show you the exact one. Abraham had had built altars in Sychem and Bethel and Hebron and Beersheba, but none of these places were adequate. He didn't say, go to Hebron, go there. No, you're going to go to this exact mountain, the one I'm going to show you there on Mount Moriah. That's the place. That's the place where you're going to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and you're going to offer him to me. Go to that particular mountain. And so they go, and it's a three-day journey. Travel for three days. Remember, now... God has already taken Abraham from Ur of Chaldeans. So he's, he's already gone 1,500 miles from the land that he knew. And now he's taking them specifically to this mountain in Moriah. Why? We learn in, Gen- in, sorry, in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. Literally, Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, the exact same place where Abraham took his son, his only son, whom he loved and whom he was going to sacrifice. To the exact spot in which Christ was crucified. He says, Dad, there's. You got the fire, you got the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? God will provide for himself the lamb. Now you look at the story and. Abraham's there, and he has the knife, and it's raised. Without a doubt, there was tears flowing. He took his son, his only son, whom he loved. He's laying there on the altar. He's got his knife, and he is just about ready to thrust it through his son, his only son, whom he loves. And at the last second... God says, stop. The last second, God says, stop. There on Mount Moriah, God says, stop. And there in the thicket was a ram. They took that, brought it in, and it's a picture. It's a picture that there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. But what took place was God provided a substitute. It wasn't his son, his only son, whom he loved. He pointed to a substitute, which was this ram. But all of it was pointing ahead to Christ who was to come. You remember as we looked at last Sunday, on Palm Sunday, that Jesus is, is going up to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and there's the, 
the branches, the palm branches, and the clothes that are laid down onto the ground. He's going on a colt, the foal of a donkey. All of this that had been prophesied before. But he's going at the exact time that all of the lambs would have been going up to Jerusalem. Over 250,000 lambs, as far as the historian Josephus said, going up this road to Jerusalem. And there is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who's coming to take away the sin of the world, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey, going up to Jerusalem on the exact day that all of the lambs would have been going up, waiting in there for the exact period of time to where he came to the time of the Passover. And at the exact time of the Passover, when all of these lambs were to be sacrificed, who's there? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world there on Mount Moriah, there which is now called Calvary, in the exact same place where God, who so loved the world, gave his only begotten son whom he loved, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He just he gives us his son. He provided for himself a lamb and a lamb that was without spot or blemish or any such thing. It had to be that way. It had to be in Jerusalem. You see Jesus in Mark 10, verse 32, where he says, now we're, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took the 12 aside, the 12 disciples aside. And again, he began to tell them the things that were going to happen to him. He said, behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed and the chief priests betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to, be, to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day, he'll rise again. It's going to happen just like that. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, likewise, Christ would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All of it pointing ahead to Christ. I have to go to Jerusalem. This is what's going to happen. The exact fulfillment of what all of Scripture has been pointing to. That the Lamb of God would come and take away the sins of the world. All that you see, the details of Him being pierced, of Him being whipped. All of the details of them spitting upon Him, plucking out His beard. All of the details prophesied before of the exact place in which it would take place. All of it was given so that we would look and see Christ and say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God took Abraham from Ur to this particular place up on that mountain. We're told in Hebrews 11 that he, Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, but by faith he dwelt in the land of promise and in a foreign country. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And he saw his day and was glad. All of it is pointing ahead to where God took him specifically to the exact spot where Christ would die. Behold the Lamb of God. Abraham said that they called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And he says, as said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. People would look at that mountain. They'd look at that mountain and go by and see that mountain. He says, to this day they go and they look at that mountain and they say, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. On that particular mountain right there, it shall be provided. Some of them 
had no idea. Most of them probably had no idea what they were even saying. But they were saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. On this particular mount, God is going to provide for himself a lamb, a spotless lamb without any blemish whatsoever. And he will take away the sins of the world. The whole system of sacrifice. You look at, you look at the Passover lamb. We looked at this on, on Good Friday, and you, and you look at the, the, the Passover lamb where God says, Tell Israel, on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for his household. It should be a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year. He shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and now take it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and on the lintel of the houses. And I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And I'm going to strike the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I'll execute with judgment. I am the Lord. And now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Passover is given. Take a lamb. Do it on the 10th day. Keep them till the 14th day. And then kill it. Jesus went up into Jerusalem with all of the lambs on the 10th day. And it was on the 14th day in which he was crucified. I mean, you're, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before. Where God says, this is what I want you to do. We can look at this at this point and go, why would he do that? I mean, like, They're leaving Egypt. They're going to this new land. They're going to be taken through the Red Sea. They're leaving that night. they got so much to pack. they got so much planning to do. You're going to free them from Egypt. They've been in slavery for hundreds of years. And you're going to free them at this point. You're going to lead them by this, this, this cloud, this pillar of light you're gonna you're gonna take them through the red sea but god says first you got to take a lamb and it needs to be without spot or without blemish you got to kill it and put the blood on the doorposts why would he do that the only reason why he would do that is behold the lamb it's all pointing to christ who is to come It's all pointing to Christ and him crucified. All of it is pointing to him, to where God looks at us who are covered with the precious blood of Christ, and he looks at us and he passes over us. Our sins are remembered no more. He's he's hurled them into the depths of the sea. He's taken them totally and completely away from us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us because his blood was shed for us. And when he sees the blood, he passes over us. It has nothing to do with their good works. It has nothing to do with them keeping the law. It has nothing to do with anything besides put the blood on the doorpost and when I see the blood, I'll pass over. It's amazing when you look at it, a picture of Christ who is to come. In Leviticus, the whole sacrificial system is set up to where they're to take an offering to the Lord from their livestock. It's to be a burnt sacrifice, a male without blemish. Shall offer it of of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting of the Lord, and then you shall put your 
your hand on its head. This burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for them. Take your hands, put it on the head of this lamb that, that, that doesn't have blemish, that's a male lamb that is without blemish. Put your hands on it. And when you do, the sin of you will be transferred to the lamb, to the animal, so that you will have an atonement. It'll cover your sin. Put your sin on the, the animal. And then kill it. Why? Other than there was a lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. And everything was pointing to Christ who would take all of our sin upon himself. All of it is pointing to what is called substitutionary atonement. It's us and our sin being transferred upon to Christ as he hung on that cross. So that we could take all of our sin, have it placed upon him, and he paid the price for it all. This picture there of God giving his only son, the one that he loved, so that he would take all of it upon himself. So that you and I for all eternity will look and say, behold our God, behold the lamb. He takes away the sins of the world. He took my sin away, all of my sin, the weight of it. All of it, that which would make it so I'd spend eternity in hell. He took all of it and he took it upon himself as he hung on the cross. His blood was shed. He hung there on that cross. Crown of thorns on his head, whipped across his back, pierced through his hands, through his feet. Blood shed everywhere so that all of us would know that there was the shedding of blood for the remission of our sins. There, hanging upon the cross, details given all throughout the Old Testament of the crucifixion, way before any form of crucifixion had ever been invented to show us that it was God's plan to take Christ from the seed of the woman and that he would crush the serpent's head as he hung there upon the cross and become our substitutionary atonement, our sin placed upon him, his righteousness placed upon us so that we could have everlasting life. And so for all eternity, we would praise him as the one who has saved us. It's not us. It's not what we've done. It's substitutionary. It's our sin placed upon him. People in the Old Testament, their sin placed upon a lamb, but it would never be sufficient. They had to do it every year. But now Christ has came, come and he took our sin upon himself. And the scripture tells us once for all. Everything else was imperfect. The clothes that God gave Adam and Eve, imperfect. The sacrifice that Abel gave, it was good, but it wasn't perfect. The sacrifice that Noah made, good, but not perfect. The sacrifice with the Passover, good, but not perfect. The whole sacrificial system, good, temporary, but not perfect. But then that which is perfect has come, and it is Christ. And so John's there just saying, behold, the Lamb of God. It has happened at this time. Behold, the Lamb of God. He is coming to us, and he takes away the sin of the world. The one that we've all been waiting for. This time in history that everything has been pointing to. Nothing else matters in all of history besides the Lamb of God has come and he's taken away our sin so that we can spend eternity with him not based upon our own righteousness but totally and completely based on the spotless Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Isaiah tells us Speaking of the Lamb of God, he was oppressed 
and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was the lamb that was being led, and he knew it. We must go to Jerusalem. They are going to kill me. I will rise again on the third day. And did he rise again from the dead? Absolutely. I mean, if there is any question as far as whether he rose again from the dead, he appeared to the disciples one by one. He appeared to over 500 people at one time. And you may look and say, ah, they lied about it. Really? People die for a lot of things. They don't die for a lie. These guys were brutally tortured. Brutally tortured. Sawn in two. Crucified upside down. Stoned. I mean, you, you look at it and all of them. They, they went to India. They went to China. They went to Europe. They went to Russia. They went to Africa. They went every place telling people about Christ because they saw him. There was no doubt in their mind that he rose again from the dead. They saw him. And Christianity spread because he said, go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Tell them what you've seen. And they all went and they knew. They knew without a doubt that he had risen from the dead. Thomas is like, I'm not going to believe it unless I put my fingers in the holes. And Jesus comes to him and says, don't be unbelieving but believing. Give me your hand. I mean, if there's any of us that doubt... God shows us without a doubt that he rose again from the dead. And so he is risen. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, if you would. There's Bibles underneath the pews. Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6. This gets, this gets so sweet as we look at the risen lamb. So there is going to be a day. John's looking at these things saying, God took me in this place and I saw the things that were going to happen. Not that, not that it has happened yet, but he saw the things that were going to happen. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. Here's John saying, and I looked. And behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. So he's there and he's seen the things that are going to take place in the future. There before the throne, there, there, there stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each having a harp. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. They're there. And they're there and they're before the Lamb. The one slain from the foundations of the earth. The one that everything had been pointing to. Now they're looking at him, the Lamb, that looked as though he had been slain. For all eternity, we look at him as he is Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world to where we look at him and it's just, he's there before the throne and, and he's a lamb that has been slain. And it tells us that they start singing this song. It's a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain. And you've redeemed us. You purchased us. To God by your blood. 
And of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousands times ten thousands, and thousands and thousands. And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. I, I just... I hope you're with me. This is awesome. I mean, you look at this, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and there's these angels, and the number of them is 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, and they sound just majestic and incredible, like the sound of mighty waters, and they're there, and they're saying with the loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. We look at this and it is just this incredible picture. All of us, every saint who has ever lived, who died with faith in Christ, all of us there before him, all of the angels, ten thousands times ten thousands and thousands and thousands, all of us together, every creature which is in heaven and earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in the blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The lamb. In Revelation 7, Turn there to verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And the one of the elders answered and said, Why are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? And, and I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones that came out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them, and they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne shall shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There they're there and we are there and we're praising him because salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, our Savior.
look at Revelation 19, verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife has made herself ready, and to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true sayings of God. We are going to go, and there is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the earth, before the foundations of this world, those who he has chosen before the foundations of the world, the plan that existed before time began, all of us coming together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. We're told in Revelation 21 that the city had no need of a sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated the Lamb as its light. There's not even a need for the sun or moon in heaven. Why? Because the Lamb is there. And the Lamb is its light. And we will see the Lamb in all of His glory shining brilliantly for all eternity. And like we read, we will fall down and we will worship Him. And we will say, all glory and honor goes to you because you were slain. Because you died. Because you took my sin upon yourself. All the glory goes to you because you're the Lamb. Behold, brothers and sisters, behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. And it's praiseworthy. Before the foundations of the world, slain in glory in heaven, there shining like the sun. And there will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life and will be joined with him. That is the gospel. The gospel is that you can be saved by placing all of your hope in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who died on the cross for your sins. His blood was shed for you. So just as the Israelites put blood on the doorpost, and God said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over. Likewise for you. You could be washed as white as snow, robed with white linens. Why? Because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. The blood of the precious Lamb of God, who was without spot or blemish, fulfilled all righteousness, and he died as our substitute. Everything points to a substitute, doesn't it? From the first close to Abel's offering, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Isaiah's testimony, everybody, the millions of sacrifices that have existed over the last several thousands of years all of it was pointing to Christ and him crucified. And so for us as Christians, all of our hope is in the blood that was shed from the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. God himself who gave us his son, his only son, whom he loved. And when that time came for that knife to come down, he didn't stop. No one said stop. God said stop to Abraham. 
But it was to be a picture that on that same mountain, the time would come and nobody would say stop. And God would give us his son, his only son, whom he loved, the Lamb of God, who would take away our sin forever. Is there order in this world? Yes. Because we have a sovereign God who redeems. We have a sovereign God who loves us. We have a sovereign God who had a plan before he ever created this world. That he would make for himself a people who would go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the only reason why they would get there was because his blood was shed for us. That is all of the gospel. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Is the Bible the word of God? I pray to God that the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes this morning. If you came in this place an unbeliever, that he has opened your eyes this morning to say that this is true and that the gospel is real and it is effectual and there will be a day where people, a great multitude which no one could number from every tribe and from every people and from every nation and from every tongue and will all be together saying, worthy is the lamb. May you all be with us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are our redeemer. You are the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we love you. We adore you. We praise you. You did not have to do this, but you did it because you are good and you are gracious and you delight in doing good to your people and you delight in making a name for yourself and you have made it so all glory and honor goes to you both now and forevermore for you are the lamb that was slain. You are worthy to receive glory and honor, power. We praise you for being the Lamb of God and going up on that mountain and dying for our sin so that we could be made your people, so that we could be washed of our sin. God, I I pray that if there's people who have come this morning and all of their hope is in what they've done, All of their hope is in their own good works. Oh, Lord, please show them that they have none. And we are a dependent, dependent people. As Scott prayed at the beginning, we are a dependent, dependent people. And there's nothing that we could do to earn everlasting life apart from faith in the blood of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Please, Lord, let not one person leave these doors without the assurance that they will be amongst the great multitude in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.